ora and welcome to the DA Field Guide 2020 podcast series. This is a special limited edition podcast series of four interviews commissioned by Creative New Zealand as part of the DA Field Guide 2020, a look into New Zealand's post-COVID design practice. In this special series, we'll hear from leaders in the New Zealand design community and further our discourse around the creative and economic well-being of our community, identify opportunities for positive change, speculate on the future of our practice and critically examine the post-COVID design landscape in Aotearoa. Tēnā katoa, I'm Louise, Design Assembly founder and director, and today I'm talking to Raul Sarot. Raul is a designer, strategist and coach that specialises in helping transform organisations and brands to align and connect with their internal and external audience. Raul has been working for over 27 years alongside a wide range of commercial and not-for-profit clients in the Asia-Pacific, the Americas and Europe. He currently runs Fresh Fish, his boutique design innovation studio that specialises in strategy, branding and business innovation, and also leads CEO, a global innovation collective. He is a part-time senior lecturer at AUT University and a long-standing member and former chair of the AUT Communication Design Advisory Committee. Kia ora, Raul. Thanks so much for joining me today. We're here to examine, reflect on and discuss the impact of COVID-19 on Aotearoa New Zealand design practice. But before we do that, I'd love to hear about you, where you come from and uh, your journey into design. Kia ora, firstly, hello, and uh, I guess back to your question where I come from, I could also say hola. Thank you for inviting me, that's awesome. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be part of this series of interviews. I, ha- I have heard a few, actually, of the previous podcast that you recorded, and uh, they were great. Great, great to know more about people's lives. Where I come from? Well, um, as you can possibly pick by my accent, I'm not a a New Zealander. I'm a new New Zealander now, um, but I'm Argentinian. Uh, so I was born in Argentina many, many, many years ago. Um, came to New Zealand also many, many, many years ago, around 23 years ago for the first time. I fell in love with Aotearoa. And ever since, after living a year here and came and go a few times, uh, I came back to New Zealand for good uh, 17 years ago. In uh, Argentina, uh, how did you get into design? Um, Did you have uh, people that influenced you as a child and a young person to go and train in design? Good question. Uh, Actually, I was interviewed by a a young designer last year about a similar question that made me reflect. So I might be a bit more trained to answer that question now. Um, I guess... um, no, uh, the, the, the design profession or discipline wasn't a very well-known thing when I was a kid in my hometown in Paraná in Argentina. So, of course, uh, you can see I got to know a few architects and a few artists, and uh, but uh, not such thing as a designer. I, I never heard that. In fact, I will tell you a bit later how I got into actually studying design. But as a kid, I was um, quite a... I guess, creative kid, as we, we all are. Uh, and I love drawing. I spend my time drawing and drawing cartoons and reading cartoons. And uh, that was where my little money normally went to, to buy, you know, uh, DC or Marvel at the time, uh, little magazines that you might find by chance in a kiosk in, in Argentina, you know, in a, in a weird corner, you will go, oh, I like that one. And uh, I love reading uh but mostly the, the illustration part of it, the, the visual storytelling really attracted me more than reading a textbook. So I was right, that's why the combination of comic um, was such a big thing for me. You know, when you reflect, I, li- I love doing music, and, but music in a playful way. I hated going to piano lessons that were very dogmatic, but I love playing the piano and playing, you know, at the time there was a, an electronic organ and, and creating stories around it. And with a friend, we started to somehow create, write our own stories and create music for us and somehow illustrate them. So it was like a multimedia project when I was 10 years old, you know, 12. And uh, another thing I used to do, I used to draw and then sell my drawings in the street. I will sit down in the, outside my house and put all my drawings under little stones for them not to fly and, and expect people to pay some money for them. So I guess there's an aspect of, uh, of a, an, an artistic direction there. Also, another thing that I would love to, I used to love to do was uh, 
take photos when I got a little old Kodak camera when I was a kid, 10 or 12. Take photos of weird things and funny things. And, uh, and also, I love desi- uh, designing at the time without even saying perhaps this, the word design, how my house would be when I would grow up. And I was doing floor plans and all the things I would like to have in the house. And, uh, and the other thing that perhaps you can weave into the design world is I enjoy creating my own language. So making up words that created somehow a code for me and my friends so we can communicate. So if you put together all that idea of visual uh, illustration or, or drawing, uh, visual storytelling and reading cartoons, loved watching movies, um, I used to go to a cinema when I was, again, 12, perhaps, at uh, Matinee, which started at 2 p.m., and they were like a double movie program, and then stayed till midnight inside the cinema without leaving. So watching all from, you know, cartoons to kind of uh, action to drama to romance to whatever else was on show that day. So I used to do that a lot. And that, I think, influenced me uh, a lot around storytelling and visual and art direction and, and a whole lot of things that, you know, at the time you don't imagine the impact that all of that food, eat with your eyes, you know, as a Maori friend of mine told me, eat with your eyes. I love that sentence. And, and I had a lot of things to eat from, you know, what I created, what I saw, what I read, what I heard. Um, so, yeah, that's how I, I got into design. But uh, I... I went to a high school that was like a like a German model high school where it was kind of an arts and craft uh, where you can study building or mechanics or electricity or construction. And, and I chose the pathway of a master builder. That, that it was like a tertiary degree in a high school. So it was a bit longer than a normal high school. So, of course, you study a whole lot around planning and architectural drawings and all that type of thing. So I thought I would be an architect uh, because I really love architecture. I still love it. I could be an architect. Uh, and I think that influences also me in the way I design. But at the same time, because I acquire the craft of actually doing technical drawing with, you know, pilots and rotrings at the time and, you know, all technical instruments. And I have my drawing board. That was my 13-year-old present that I love to have a, a proper drawing table. I, I, by 15, I could draw plans very well, you know. And so I started working for a print company uh, doing original artwork, uh, kind of logos that they needed to be resized or, or drawing typography and uh, typefaces. Or, and, uh, yeah, I think all of that, without, again, knowing that that was, could be a field of design, actually the, the Finnish artist aspect of it, that's how it all started. So um, when I finished high school, I studied architecture for two years, and I loved it. I loved the idea of designing, you know, an environment, a house or a building or whatever that was, and understanding the, the 3D aspect of it and the livable aspect of it and the user experience that now we call that, but of course wasn't called that back then. And after two years, I quit it to... Uh, dedicate my time to another of my passions, which still is, which is playing music. Uh, I had a a band when I was a teenager, and the band got really, you know, quite famous locally and regionally. So we started touring, and that required a lot of time. And, um, you know, I said to my dad, hey, I want to... My dad was a musician. He was a doctor, but also a musician. And he understood that and said, well, but if you quit university, you had to get a job when I was 20 already two years into university, and I said, yeah, sure. So I started working, uh, again, because I knew the trade of Finnish artists, I started working in an advertising agency. And as a kind of, you know, the, what now will be a, in an advertising agency, a visual, visualizer or a visual artist or the Finnish artist and doing all those type of things. And uh, But also then I started the guy, the creative director, said, oh, you have pretty good ideas. And so we started co-creating campaigns and messages, which I never had done up until then. That idea of tidying in images or image making or photography, he was a very good photographer with messages. And that for me also went, hmm, that's interesting. So um, when my band decided to move to Buenos Aires, the big city in Argentina, where we will make it big, I went, I would like to study university again. And uh, 
of course, I was 22 already, and I went, wow, I need to start uh, another, you know, however many uh, careers. So I said, I will study a shorter career, which is not architecture again. Together with architecture, I will continue my architectural studies. But there's this new career that just started last year called graphic design. And, and I didn't even know what it was, but sounded good, what I could saw or read in the little pamphlets and uh, pretty basic information, only a one-year-old career. I thought, this sounds good. It's a four-year career instead of a six-year architectural career, although I got a kind of a year recognition for changing universities. And uh, so I said, I will study both. And when I went to the, to the little office, um, the little uh, you know, lady behind the counter at the University of Buenos Aires says, you're crazy. You cannot study two careers. Oh, yeah, I can. Um, and she said, no, in fact, we won't allow you to study the two careers at the same time, you know, very dogmatic up until you have two years of uh, approved papers for any of those two care uh, careers. And I went, oh, well, this is a bit too hard basket. Okay, just put me down for this graphic design thing. And, um, yeah, so that's how I started in actually studying design, you know what I mean? And so where did you uh, find yourself uh, working in your early in your career? So uh, I started studying, and uh, a year later, when I was in year two of my graphic design course at the University of Buenos Aires, um, I said, well, I need to find some work, you know, uh, part-time work. And uh, I found work uh, firstly as a kind of freelance uh, designer um, where I used to buy in the kind of the, you know, the, the design or artist uh, shop where they will, I will buy all my, you know, utensils. You know, I will buy ink and I will buy, oh, I need a lamp for my drawing table and I will buy paper and the guy said, oh, you're a designer. Yes. Oh, well, we have a few projects on the go, you know, like designing the cover of a notebook and designing a logo for us. And, and that's how it all started. And I went, oh, cool. I can actually apply all of my previous knowledge, what I was studying, what I already knew as a Finnish artist, as a creative of uh, kind of adverts, junior advertising, creative uh, yeah, director, I guess. And um, into his communications and shortly after I got a job part-time through a friend uh, in a design studio. Uh, the guy was a Belgian guy and he was running a kind of quite successful medium-sized studio for five people. Yeah, I started working there part-time. I know that in Argentina that you um, worked through um, the recession. Uh, what year was that? The that major was in recession? 2000, 2001. Yeah, yeah. So at, um, where were you at in, in terms of your career pathway when that happened? Uh, well, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I already did a big shift in my career pathway at that time because I was, uh, after finishing my university, I was 26 years old and uh, I went, or 25, and I went for a EROE in Europe where I traveled around and, and again, that was an amazing experience. And also, uh, an amazing experience from a design point of view because of already, of course, I was a designer. And I uh, was interested in the work of quite a few designers at the time, like Neville Brody in London and Mariscal, an artist in Spain, and uh, a few other artists in, in France. And I visited their studios. I, mm -hmm. Uh, and I also um, went to a whole lot of exhibitions that blew my mind. And, and talking to these guys, you know, seeing how um, behind your hero, uh, there's a human being, you know, with the same, with the same um, yeah, needs and wishes and challenges that any other person might have, you know, in their profession. And uh, it was nice to demystify earlier on what it meant or what it meant to be a famous designer or a famous artist. So anyway, when I came back uh, to Argentina, I worked for three years and uh, uh, the studio was going really, really well, like growing year after year, becoming kind of a, quite a boutique, funky studio. And I went, hold on a minute, this is getting too serious too quick. And I can, if I project this, I can imagine being, you know, a bigger a studio and I'm more well-known and less time to, you know, uh, explore life. And, and so I took a sabbatic year off and I came to New Zealand in, as part of my travels of the Southern Hemisphere that included South Africa and India and, and Nepal and Southeast Asia and, 
and Australia and New Zealand. And this is where the trip ended. And I fell in love with Aotearoa and I stayed for a year working at Dave Clark as a senior designer at the time. And um, so when I went back to Argentina after that year, um, I said, really, I don't want to live in Buenos Aires in the big crazy city anymore. And uh, I would like to, you know, live closer to nature. Now I live on Waijiki, so that's the same theme, really. And I moved down to Patagonia to a place called Bariloche, which is a beautiful city uh, similar to Queenstown in type, next to a lake, next to mountains, just a bit larger. I said, okay, how can I make a living here? You know, do I open a bakery or something? (laughs) And I said, no, hold on a minute. Uh, This was in the year 2000. And I said, that's an opportunity. I know it sounds crazy. People thought, everyone thought I was crazy with my partner in life and in business then um, we decided to move down and said I, I believe we can actually open uh, another branch of the studio you know actually not uh, restart but actually continue and of course internet was dial up then and was, you know there weren't anything like Dropbox or Zoom or and all was kind of uh, you know upload files to an FTP server by dial up that will break down 10 times and you know segment files in it was crazy stuff, but we did it, and and uh, that worked really well. And I uh, used to travel with my little then new laptop, you know, uh, which I still have in the, my Mac Museum, you know, an old black power book, uh, which you laughed, you know, the tools that we used to work with, thinking they were fantastic. And uh, travel to Buenos Aires once every two weeks to have meetings and big presentations, and then retreat back to my mountain cypress cabin next to a lake. So after doing a couple of years with that, the studio was again going really, really well and working with big international clients, some of them French clients um, and FMCG, uh, some of them English clients like Oxford University Press, designing books for them. So, so you know, we were fine. And, uh, but the country collapsed on that uh, big recession of the end of 2001. And it was, yeah, terrible, terrible for everyone. Of course, mm-hmm. we're talking about and in this case, me as a designer, was a huge impact. You could see it coming, you know. Uh, big clients were saying, well, we sense something's going on, so we will cancel all our productions of book for plan for the next year or something like that. So where I was at, I was at into um, the very pretty well-established studio with five people working in it, three in Buenos Aires, two down south, and... Um, and yeah, it was a big shock. I was teaching as well. I was teaching. That's another one of my passions. As you know, I have been teaching forever, really, since I finished university, different papers. And I was teaching in a smaller tertiary institute, design institute there. So yeah, it was, it was really hard. And, and when did you make the decision to come to New Zealand and live here? Uh, live again here. Well, um, since that, our first visit to New Zealand back then when we did that big overseas trip and after working a year here, we uh, ended up with a whole lot of friends uh, here and great memories and uh, great wishes to return someday. And we started to come on holiday every summer or every second summer to spend a month here or a month in Australia and here. And, and uh, when all these uh, hard times were in Argentina, uh, we thought, well, perhaps it's time to, to head back to New Zealand. Um, to have a bit more of a balanced, <laughs> you know, life in a way. And um, so at the time, of course, another greatest, uh, one of the greatest events in my life, uh, which is not a design event, although, you know, you can argue that uh, there's some of design work there. Uh, we had a child, our first child, Lola. Um, so we had a one-year-old child when all that happened in Argentina. And we thought, well, you know, Lola deserves a little better. So, you know, a bit of a, more of a, yeah, balanced life and stable life for her, you know, and for us, uh, for her to grow up. So we decided to move back to New Zealand uh, back in 2003, two years after that big clash in Argentina. Where did you find yourself uh, working when you first arrived back in New Zealand? Well, I was very lucky. Again, you know, my first job when I came on that OE for a year was as a senior designer at Dave Clark and you know, that was my first interview pretty much or my second interview on the same day and I got hired. And when I came back again, I think my second interview was um, with a company that then was called Brave New World. That was an evolution of Dave Clark merging with a digital company uh, called Touchpoint. And uh, I got hired as a creative director. So that was my first job a week after arriving, which I was a bit shocked. It was great. It was a great experience. And um, 
tough uh, adapting back, you know, to working in an English speaking, of course, uh, as you know, my mother tongue is Spanish. So um, although I could speak English and I was working with English clients, um, one thing is to, you know, write an email in English. And then the other thing is to lead a team of, you know, eight designers and to deal and sell projects to clients uh, in, in Kiwi English. <laughs> Straight after arrival was a bit mind blowing. So yeah, that was a a very interesting, uh, exciting, challenging, and really hard at the same time. What type of design projects were you working on? Um, uh, uh, Brave New World was a very interesting company. It was like a merge of a traditional design studio, though, doing a whole lot of branding projects, a whole lot of MCG work. Uh, so brands for um, you know food, basically products, food and beverage. Uh, but also there was a bit of corporate work and there was a lot of digital work then, you know, like, you know, redesigning yellow pages or, you know, uh, some other pro the interesting um, other projects that require then kind of uh, UX, UI uh, work again. And those terminologies didn't exist by, back then. But yeah, there was a lot of uh, hybrid work, 360 kind of work. And today you run your own studio, uh, Fresh Fish, which specialises in um, more strategy, branding and business innovation in terms of um, co-design mm -hmm. with your clients. So tell us about how you, um, you know, moved from what you were doing in terms of the type of design through to, the, through to what you do now. So there was a, an interim, very important stage in my career, which is after being a creative director for Brave New World, I uh, got hired across the road by a lovely boutique branding company called Brando, uh, which uh, working with great people, small team, we were eight um, in a great space, uh, doing great work, branding work, and, and mostly for retail and, you know, fashion and, you know, homewares and, you know, very retail oriented, which was slightly different from the, the other work. But we did a bit of packaging and all of that too, but uh, quite also a bit sometimes more advertising driven. Anyway, the, the recent... Um, that I thought, uh, we thought then back at Brando with my partners, uh, where I got offered to be a, a business partner shortly after joining in as, a, as an art director, then I was made a creative director and then a partner of the business. Um, we thought that was a, bit, a big bridge into how to translate business aims and goals and you know, plans into actual branding that actually works. So we were working again, perhaps then in a more traditional sense of, of a branding agency or a communications agency. But that gap, you know, of the breakdown in between the overall aims, how well the, the campaign or the brand was implemented, why it, why it worked or why it didn't, why it got, uh, you know, given what it needed to actually become real or not. I thought there was a very interesting course then back in New York uh, through the Designers Management Institute, BMI, around uh, how to add values to brands. And, and that was a strategy course, basically. So we traveled there and, and to make that course. And that uh, week in New York doing that was really eye-opening, you know, kind of other ways of approaching brand at other scale, how to implement the idea of bridging the gap in between business and the and creative world of design and how to co-create, back again, that term didn't exist, although it, the, the act of co-creating did exist. So we, we learned, I particularly learned a whole lot of techniques and how to uh, yeah, implement strategy as a module, as a bridging module of co-creation back then. And that was great. We started implementing it here, adapting it here, uh, you know, uh, tailoring to our own needs, to our own clients, to our own ways of working, to our own scale. And, and creating our own, you know, strategic uh, platforms and, and modules and methodologies, uh, making them our own, uh, combining with what we already knew, plus the new knowledge acquired, plus the new testing and iterations. So um, after five years in that company, which um, again ended up with another big uh, economic you know, challenge uh, worldwide, the 2009 kind of recession. So I was like, oh my goodness, here we come, another recession. I thought I left all that behind. I decided to do what I always wanted to do, which is really have my own studio, you know, and that's where Fresh Fish was born. And that's where I started um, also perhaps uh, having more clarity around the portfolio of, yes, we do branding and strategy and design work, but also we do kind of 
strategy and innovation and co-creation and facilitation work. Um, so those were the two big, you know, portfolios of the studio. And and since then, uh, you know, my own interest, I guess, of researching, studying, taking courses here and there. And then, of course, um, I got offered to teach. At, uh, I was still teaching at university, mostly design papers. But, you know, those things in life, I got offered to teach at the business school. Um, the management, design management in business, visual communication in business. And one of the papers was design thinking, which I started teaching. And although many of the methodologies of design thinking have, have been practiced, I was practicing for many, many years and I was studying, I haven't quite formalized that as, oh, this is a design thinking um, way of working on methodology through IDO and Stanford University. And so I started studying that myself and then the opportunity of joining as a coach for Better by Design shortly after, like a year after a year. And of course, I, I was, I wouldn't say well-versed, but pretty well-trained by myself in, in design thinking. And that idea of uh, being part of that, that pool of coaches through Better by Design in ZTE uh, was great because also helped us. Um, help me particularly uh, acquire more knowledge, uh, discuss with my peers, uh, you know, work with them, learn from them, co-create with them, but also uh, be formed uh, by, you know, interesting people from around the world that came to build capability here in New Zealand. And so what do you do today? What's, what's your role and how do you spend your day-to-day? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, well, I, my day-to-day as any designer I guess um, I still consider myself a designer you know when even when I do strategy work I think uh, yesterday I was giving a course through design assembly which you know well around the value of strategy and I was saying to the team to the lovely team that uh, participated in the workshop that a strategy is a design project uh, you have to take it as a design project there is a challenge there is a need there is expectations there is someone that needs something and needs to portray something or create something or do something. But someone else is also involved in that journey. Could be internal teams, could be external uh, teams, could be end consumers, could be users. So it's, it's not very different from a design project, just that it might not have a physical output, a tangible output. Perhaps the output becomes a document, becomes a more philosophical platform but it's still a design project, uh, or you can take it as a design project. Um, so today, um, again, uh, Studio Fresh Fish and myself dedicate to, according to the month or the year, uh, a balance in between actual design work, which is branding, brand identity sometimes, for some ongoing clients that we have worked through years and they still love to work with us and we love to work with them. We still do actual design work in any forms there's a lot of digital work and there's a lot of storytelling and there's a lot of some cases is packaging which i love doing websites and apps and that type of thing and then on the other hand is strategy work which could be either a formal strategy business or brand strategy or facilitations in teams around innovation and co-creation and and how to flow innovation through enterprises and so it, it really depends on and, and sometimes it's the three of them right sometimes mm-hmm. starts as a branding project and end up in internal activations for team to be able to implement that that brandings or whatever that or that strategy for therefore there's a lot of coaching and innovation work in it sometimes it's much more modular we just want you as a coach we just want you as a strategist consultant we just want you as a design studio so that will depend on how on the needs of the company or the people and the open-mindedness. Some people f- struggle to understand that there could be a more overarching studio that could deliver on more than one thing, uh, a bit of a renaissance model, you know, kind of, uh, which, I, which I really love. And um, I, I love doing that idea of we as designers can work on pretty much any field if you have a bit of experience and the open-mindedness to do so. Uh, I like that flexibility of moving through different clients and sectors and industries and, you know, that type of thing. And so would you have uh, people, designers or other individuals that have been um, inspirations or mentors over the last years in your career? Yes, always. I'm a, As much as I'm a teacher by passion because I love teaching and and sharing knowledge and experience. I'm an avid learner 
I'm a very curious individual. So, yes, I mean, there's always someone to learn from on a face-to-face, one-to-one, on a one-to-many if you attend a course or or someone that you work with, that you admire how they work or, or you learn from how they work. I always try to extract the, the positive, you know, out of things and, uh, and learn. Have I learned one thing at least from and there's always something to learn. So yes, many. I mean, it will, I will be unfair, you know, from even my university studies in those four years, I can still remember, you know, words of wisdom from my teachers or a couple of teachers at least that really marked my career, you know, uh, that really challenged me into going deeper or going further or going wilder. And that influenced me. And uh, yeah, of course, you know, when you grow up, you have your design heroes. And in the 90s for me, where the Perhaps the, the two opposites of the spectrum were Neville Brody with his typographic work and, and then perhaps uh, Fabian Barron, you know, as an editorial designer, creative director, which I still follow on Instagram, you know, more for his photographic work. To then on the other extreme, the, the chaotic um, David Carson with his more plastic, artistic kind of treatment of type. Type has been my area of interest ever since, you know, I was a teenager. So those were my, you know, design influences from a visual point of view. Uh, I guess from a, from a coaching or a strategist point of view, I mean, there's many people, some of my colleagues from uh, Better by Design are really great influences. You know, I have friends uh, that work with me and um, I find them, you know, super inspiring to work with, you know, and, and I co- co-create with them, co-work with them. And sometimes... Uh, they attend my workshops and I attend theirs, you know, that kind of uh, sharing. So, mm-hmm. and some of the people that came to train us, they were very inspirational too, you know, people from the Chicago Institute and, you know, in the States and, and that course that I did in New York a couple of times and they were great, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's always try to, to learn from people. So now I'd like to talk a little about the um, impact so far of COVID-19 on the design community in our practice and I'd like you to reflect on your experience of the immediate past um, the last six months in terms of uh, being in lockdown and and then being lucky lucky enough to come out of it and then obviously the resurgence again how have you been doing and how's your practice changed and and what have you learned you know uh, I think we're still digesting all that means and how it impacts us and the fact that going back into some sort of um, level of quarantine or lockdowns as we've just been recently still awakes us that you know it's uh people define it as the new normal i i laugh when i hear that term uh, what do you find funny about it well not not particularly funny i find it um, short-sighted mm. well i find that there's nothing normal around these times you know. Uh, still we're still transitioning you know you read in the papers the first lockdown was when the new normal comes the new normal never came you know yet and i don't think it will i think i'm not being negative and uh, i'm just being realistic and we came into some sort of interim reality and now we are back on lockdown or we were back on lockdown now we are yet in another interim reality to then go out on the other side to another thing that we still don't know so nothing normal around that i would say the new abnormal which I simply like to, again, share with my, uh, the participants of the workshop yesterday as the new reality. And the new reality, the, 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 what's characterized the new reality is the fluidity, uh, the fluidity of it. Uh, it could change states anytime, you know, it could change from, you know, like water, from being solid to fluid to smoke. <laughs> and, and you need to adapt, you know, and uh, that's uh, something we need to learn. And, uh, we have been adapting as a teacher, for instance, or as a coach, we have been adapting that uh, before going online to, to have a conference call or to have a workshop was an option. Now it's a must. So, um, or was a must. Now we, again, go into this hybrid reality. Some can be done face-to-face under certain restrictions, some not. What has changed? Well, I, over the last few years, I've been doing a lot of international work, traveling a lot to countries in South America, I work in Brazil, in Argentina and Chile, countries in North America. Uh, I work in China, I work in Australia, and uh, I work in the Pacific Islands in uh, last year in Samoa, and the last few years in the Solomon Islands. Uh, obviously, all that work 
is gone as of for one-on-one face-to-face. Now, some of it translated into digital, some of it's not, because there, even the reality of all those economies and countries is still also to be seen, to be understood, to be defined what it means, how they act. Everyone is a bit of on standby. Uh, in some cases, they need to act. We need to act. In some cases, things are postponed. In some cases, are done with care with too much care and you know kind of street feeding activity in some cases there's no other option than to act with determination because it kind of we need to survive so i think it's a, you know it really affected and impacted economies and people of course uh, so therefore we that we work as a, you know as designers or as coaches or as strategies or as business advisors um we also, our world has changed. So we sometimes, when we design and when we advise and we strategize, we work on futures. That's what we do as designers, how things could evolve, how things could be better. Not necessarily tomorrow, sure, there's some things of quick activation, but also long-term futures, medium-term futures, years. Um, and that's, of course, it's, it's very hard these days. So it's interesting to work as a strategist or as, as a designer with that fluidity, learn to work even more so. Because we normally embrace uncertainty as designers. We, that's what we do, right? We don't know what we don't know. And we are testing and prototyping and imagining and, you know. But uh, yeah, so now we have to work with yet more fluidity and more uncertainty and more adaptability. And how do you see it as being different from the recession, the global recession in 2009 and then your previous experience of the Argentinian recession? Well, uh, the first, uh, they're, they're totally different and they're totally the same at the same time. They're totally different. The Argentinian recession was a very localized matter. Um, so local in Argentina. It, it wasn't that uh, the rest of the, I mean, yes, there were some things that, you know, the tequila effect back then, you know, that kind of uh, financial crisis around the world that I, I somehow bring into their chaos other economies uh, weaker economies or dependent economies sure but uh, it wasn't a, at a global scale um, the recession of 2009 yes it was at a global scale but it was only a financial recession and um, there were financial aids coming to the you know to save in weird ways you know uh, banks were helping countries and you know, and and private people were helping countries but you would go wow really concerning but it was only at that scale of financial sphere this is different this is different the, the world by itself is already in crisis without the pandemic the pandemics you know without coronavirus the world already was coming to a point that you will wonder how long this will last you know and, and we can get pretty philosophical and even political here but you know you will you had to wonder last year how much how long the the economies of the how capitalism is being conceived will last? Is it a five years, ten years, three years until things collapse? Uh, there were a lot of uh, tensions in between the states and China, and how that affects the world because being the, the dominating economies. And uh, so, without the pandemic, to that you add the pandemic, where is this big unknown thing? And there's so many theories around it, and there's so many studies around it. I think what is scary, is scary to a point at this point in time and what scares many people, even uh, country leaders and you know, uh, world leaders, is the unknownness of it all, the unknownness of yet what it is, the unknownness. No, no, the, the, the financial crisis is one thing. It's a known fact. There's that mean, many, you know, millions of billions think that is missing and they need to come from somewhere else. And... Uh, this, uh, you know, uh, food problem in this part of the world. And, and it's a known fact. You might decide to deal with it or not, or to partially solve it or not, or to, you know, uh, there's other um, diseases around the world. You know, as you have, might have heard, there's at least 10 other viruses or diseases around the world that kill, has, they have killed, or they, they are killing early, you know, way more people than coronavirus. But it's a known factor. It's a known factor. Is they know what it is, they know how to stop it, they might not have the resources, they might decide not to do it. The, the, the interesting thing about this time is the unknownness, that yet don't know. 
they yet don't know, we don't know, where here in New Zealand, we yet don't know how it's all reignited back again, originally. We now know, and there's control, and there's tracing, and there's this, and there plans to, you know, to have a lesser impact, but still don't know how it all happened in the first place. Um, you know, the studies uh, around where through this or that, is it through food, is it through uh, people don't know. Uh, so it's that not knownness that is so concerning and scared, scaring for people and for institutions and for leaders and so on, because you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know how fast it's going to spread. And particularly in New Zealand, which is such a, a small-scale economy, depending on so many trade agreements around the world, because those realities of our partners or, you know, allies or whatever you want to call them uh, is so uncertain and so fragile, you know, all of a sudden there's a redesign on how do we, how economies work, how our economy works, mm. uh, you know. Yeah, so that's a very interesting times, I think. It's a, it's a it's a meta challenge as a as a design as a designer we have to take it as a meta challenge you know it's a systemic uh, failure and uh, we knew some of it and some of it is new and some of it is unknown so very interesting times. So when you talk about that being a meta challenge for designers, then what would you say the opportunities are for designers in our practice and and our role and responsibility? Uh, in societal issues or uh, let's see if i have a book here anyway ah yeah here it is yes i've read that the black swan so you know a very a very very interesting book uh, that i read back then uh, the impact of the highly improbable uh, the black swan and um, that book basically which is you know nicholas nassim uh, taleb is a philosopher i guess he teaches at university he's from middle east he lives in the state and teaches there uh, the guy makes a point that we deny things as possible or they we categorize them as highly impossible until they happen and when they happen we start to find all these factors oh yes of course we validate them you know yeah they happen because of this oh yeah we could see this coming <laughs> which is pretty much what's happening now i think the the opportunities are uh, understanding the opportunities, being open-minded to understand what can be done then, what are the new, what, what is the new lay of the land, even if it is a seismic land where everything moves and, you know, so, okay, everything moves, so what do we do? What, what are our design strategies for when everything moves? How can <laughs> we create our own practice and make it sustainable? How we can advise clients to make their own business sustainable? What are the opportunities when everything moves? What are the opportunities when the mountains that are where they are not any longer there and there's new rivers coming, what are the opportunities? But to understand the opportunities, you need to understand what are the challenges first and become real with those challenges and then design solutions for it, which are the opportunities. But also that this, we need to understand what it means designing in fluid times, how that uh, fluidity can become, you know, the, the norm, in a way, the norm is, the new normal is fluidity. That's the only norm, you know, and fluidity is in economies, in societies, in ways of working, in what it means, in, you know, in new markets, in old markets crumbling or disappearing or redefining uh, new opportunities. Yeah, I think the, the, the opportunity is to, to take it as a design challenge, mm. understanding what are the real needs, what are the real challenges, what are you know, what, what is there and cannot be changed, what is there and can be changed. If I would say to you, so I was teaching, I'm teaching at, at university at AUT, as you know, different papers every year or every term, which keeps me always excited. Last semester, I was teaching in the first lockdown and we have to shift all the programs online. If I would have said to you, um, hey, this is, we need to teach to 25 kids online for three hours twice a week. People will go, that's impossible. Don't do that. That will be a failure. And we had to do it. So, so you know, you had to do it. And, uh, and it worked. We, we constantly, I was teaching with my colleague, uh, Herb Brand, which you already know him also. Um, and we, we were ourselves redesigning weekly. You know, what worked, what didn't? What else can we try? What mm -hmm. else can we iterate? What else can we test? In hearing from people, from students, you know, how it worked for you, really understanding the, the, the fluidity, the, 
the methodology, what worked, what didn't, you know. So I think, like anything, we, we are a fantastic uh, species in the way we can adapt, human beings are. So, you know, we can adapt. We just need to be positive and be mindful, I guess. You know, there's so many things in between the, the balance between the individual and the collective entity. And that, that, that's where the opportunities are, you know, in, under, in a better understanding and more, more mindfulness. I live on Waikiki and the constant thing is around, you know, we were very aware of the environment and sustainability and the local programs for it. And, and we see the pretty sad state of the Hauraki Gulf and the waters are not so clear. There's not that much fish. It's overfished. And during lockdown, you know, there were boil stands of fish in the water. Sea, you know, I cycle through the coastal roads um, and you can see the transparency of the water. You can see, you know, 10 meters down, you know, that before you could see two meters down. Uh, so there's opportunities of regeneration. Those are the opportunities. How might we regenerate, you know, and make it sustainable? I think it's a no-brainer. And how do we hold on to these opportunities, though, and remember them? You know, well, because, that's, it, yeah. yeah. No, that's, that's too true. That's, um, that's, that's my area of concern, you know, uh, during lockdown, back again to your question before, how it affected you. And I found it fascinating, you know. I found fascinating the change of pace, but forceful change of pace. So that's, that's for me, it's a, it's a bit of a shame, you know what I mean? It's like we never take these opportunities. We never have the... The guts to say this is what we should be doing if we want to protect the environment this is what we should be doing no but when it comes to us as a norm as an oppression as an obligation we do it and we see the results and people will go wow i can hear the birds i can see the transparency of the water there's fish jumping but we don't do them when we can we do them because we have to and and i think that's your point you know so how do we learn from it and the thing is like well we need to learn from I mean, be fantastic if we learn from it, right? Uh, for me, the analogy is that one thing is when you go on a, as a tourist to a new destination, right? And you will go, ah, I will try the exotic food. And I will, ah, hear the language of the locals. And you learn three or four words and you feel good. And you buy the T-shirt, right? You know, I visited whatever <laughs> it is. And, and you know, oh, man, this is amazing. You know, I should do more of this and... I should really now, I got a bit of a hand in this language and practice it more and definitely be in touch with them and definitely be more on holiday more often because so good for me and the spirit and my head. And, and then you go back to your work and to your computer and to your desk and to your papers and to your routines. And then three months later, it looks like, you know, you traveled three years ago. You forgot about it all. Oh my goodness. I forgot all the words. I don't even, you know, the t-shirt is not relevant anymore and I don't really feel it. And I haven't tried that food again. How might we not make it that way? You know, lockdown is not just, oh, it's a postcard. Actually, what have we learned? You know, what have we learned? The reconnection with the family, the reconnection with slow culture, you know. Lots of people were posting photos about breads and sort of making, you know. Uh, cool. So what have you learned? How much are you carrying through? How much of that reconnection with food, with house, with people, with environment? Are you planning to take forward and not just leave it because you had to? That's the, the learnings, again, as designers. What have we learned? And how much are we planning to take forward? And can we and should we work with our clients to take these changes forward? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, clients uh, look at us designers as uh, people with ideas, people with uh, creative minds, uh, people as uh, problem solvers depends on what you're after, as coaches, as guides, you know, it depends on the role that you are in, in your particular design discipline. People look to us for that inspiration. People look to us for ideas. People look to us for coming up with solutions that no one else will ever think of. Uh, that's what we designers do uh, and creative people in general do. Um, so yeah, it's up to us. We have a responsibility in all of this. And finally, I'd like to ask you for a few words of wisdom that you'd like to share with other designers and creatives. Uh, that's a difficult question. Uh, words of wisdom. Uh, well, 
I mean, as a design discipline, my biggest uh, advice will be stay curious. Stay curious. Curiosity is the key, the key of what we do. It's the curiosity of understanding, oh, that's amazing. How does it work? That curiosity. Uh, curious around, oh, interesting dynamic in between those people at the bus stop. What's going on? How, how does that work? How do they work? How do they live? How do they speak? That natural curiosity in us in what a beautiful piece of art, you know, who made, who made it, uh, why, you know, that natural curiosity is the key of, of the design discipline. And, and that um, optimism, I think, is the other word of advice. Uh, stay optimistic. Uh, that's what we do. We bring better worlds. We design better realities. Uh, we are aiming to help people. Uh, improve whatever it is, their business, their lives. That's what we are doing. So stay curious and stay optimistic. But also um, embrace embrace the, the change, embrace the, understand the fluidity and embrace the change. And be mindful, be mindful and be aware. Make yourself aware of what's going on in the world. You know, a Design is a world of being connected. We are connected to people we are connected to environment we are connected to technology we are the mergers of all these realities into what we offer is, is it a, is a new system a new methodology a new product a new digital platform we merge realities people environment systems we are we work in that area in that arena of merging realities we need to be super aware and super mindful and and there where comes the ethics and responsibility in what we do Kiora Rao Thanks for your time today. It's been really great to get to know more about where you've come from, your journey so far, and your thoughts and reflections on uh, the fluidity of 2020. Thank you. Thank you, Luis. Thank you very much. And thank you, community of designers and, and curious people listening to this. Kia ora.